welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Arbitral Insights. In this podcast, we're going to take a look at the Law Commission's review of the England and Wales Arbitration Act of 1996. My name is Jane Miles and I'm a Senior Associate in Reed Smith's Energy and Natural Resources team here in Dubai. I'm joined today by my colleague Bartek Mikowski, also a Senior Associate in our Energy and Natural Resources team based in London. Hi Jane, thanks for the introduction and to everyone else, welcome to the podcast. This will be the first in a short series of podcasts on the Arbitration Act, in which we'll cover some of the key issues raised by the Law Commission in its consultation with the legal community. In today's podcast, we'll cover the background to the consultation and the issues the consultation covered before we take an in-depth look at one of the fundamental issues surrounding arbitration, and often a key attraction for parties to arbitration, being that of confidentiality. Yes, plenty, plenty to talk about. Um, and perhaps before we even start talking in detail about the consultation process, uh, it's probably also helpful to just think about why the consultation around the uh, Arbitration Act of England and Wales is so important to the wider international arbitration community. Good point. Why don't you cover that for the listeners to provide a bit of context around potential changes that might be introduced? Yeah, sure. Well, I would say there's probably two main reasons why the Arbitration Act and, and therefore any potential changes to the Arbitration Act are so important to the wider international world. Um, the first one is that the Arbitration Act is the source of the fundamental legal structure for any arbitration that's based uh, in London or, as we sometimes say, seated in London. And Let's remember that based on the most recent statistics, London is one of the most, if not the most popular jurisdiction for conducting international arbitration. And whilst many of those arbitrations conducted in London will utilise the resources of sophisticated arbitral bodies and they will be administered by those bodies in accordance with their own rules and principles that and set out the detail of how the arbitration works. All of that still happens within the framework of the 1996 Act. Uh, and in particular, that Act still sets out the basic principles on uh, when and how arbitration agreements are binding, um, the basic principles of arbitration fairness, and ultimately the rules on how arbitration awards can be enforced. So again, a very important piece of legislation for a very large number of arbitrations. And the second reason that goes beyond the English jurisdiction and and London-based arbitrations is that this act was a very um, influential piece of legislation. And therefore, many other countries throughout the world, and in particular, common law jurisdictions, have uh, been inspired by it in setting their own laws um, and it will certainly be interesting to see if any proposed changes to the uh, Arbitration Act here in the UK 
will have a ripple effect through the, the, the other jurisdictions that initially took inspiration from the act. Will they also make similar changes? Maybe they'll go even further. Again, interesting to see what's going to happen. Absolutely. And the Act is, after all, more than 25 years old now, which might not seem like it's that old for a piece of legislation. But given the sort of evolving nature of international arbitration and the sort of technological advances we've seen, particularly over the last sort of five years or so, um, you know, now seems like as good a time as any for the Law Commission to have carried out its consultation. Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. And, you know, it's probably just natural for the Law Commission to try and make sure that the Act, which again is such an important piece of legislation, is stays at the very cutting edge of what we think of as the international arbitration practice. Again, as you say, especially in the current fast-changing and um, increasingly digitalized world. So, so perhaps this is a good spot to try and move on to discussing the consultation process itself and the approach taken by the Commission. Interestingly, the Commission decided to take a sort of two-stage approach in its consultation. Uh, at stage one, the Commission reviewed the Act itself and discussed it with key targeted stakeholders in order to assess, is a change needed? And if so, what sort of change is needed? Fundamentally, the, the, the responses that came were uh, clearly indicating that the Act works really well. It still does its job. And certainly there is no case for ripping it to shreds and replacing it with something completely new. But the Commission did conclude that there are areas that certainly merit consideration and potential change. That leads us to stage two, in which the Commission set out its proposals for potential changes in those key targeted areas and invited the wider international arbitration community, so both legal practitioners and those using arbitration, uh, to comment on the proposals. Do they agree? Do they disagree? Do they have anything else to add? Yes, I think this approach to the consultation sort of helped to streamline the process in terms of seeking uh, feedback from stakeholders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's a good approach. Um, that said, it, it, that there was a bit of a mixed reaction to the overall approach taken by the Commission. Uh, some people did suggest that perhaps the Commission should have gone further and actually recommended uh, scrapping the current Act and replacing it with a completely new redrafted piece of legislation but um, as I say equally as many view this as a good balanced approach let's keep that but let's consider some targeted changes. Yes so why don't we sort of look at what the consultation covered. The Commission sort of chose to seek feedback on quite a variety of issues that included you know a number of key issues uh, that are important to our clients when it comes to choosing arbitration as a forum for their for their disputes. So the, the consultation covers confidentiality and impartiality, arbitrator independence and the duty to disclose, the immunity of the arbitrator. It also looks at summary disposal of issues that lack merit and took a look at the arbitration appeals on points of law. And some of these, these issues we'll cover in this podcast series. Um, the consultation also covered 
discrimination, interim measures ordered by the court and jurisdictional challenges. So there was quite a bit for respondents to the consultation to consider. Yeah, and, and all of those are obviously very interesting and important topics. Um, but, but interestingly enough, the Commission didn't stop there, did it? Uh, it? It did start looking at some more minute points uh, within that as well. Yes, you're quite right. Um, and even kind of got down to looking at making minor amendments as to whether it ought to tailor the Act to make kind of more, uh, well, to better reflect the use of modern technology, for example. But ultimately, the Commission considered no changes were needed in that regard. It also looked at Section 7, um, which contains the default rule that an arbitration agreement is separable from the main contract in which it's stated. Um, However, the default rule is that it's not mandatory, so parties can essentially opt out of that, which leaves an arbitration agreement at risk of being rendered invalid if it's deemed to be part of the contract and that contract is subsequently deemed to be invalid. Yeah, again, interesting points for the Commission to, to look at. And yet again, that's still not the end because um, the Commission did leave an open-ended question asking those responding to the consultation to make any other comments about any other areas that haven't been uh, specifically targeted by the Commission. Um, so, so it will be interesting to see if after the stage two, we may see some surprise recommendations in areas and on topics that are not currently in the spotlight. Yes, it certainly will be. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of comes through. Um, and we don't have too long to wait because apparently at the moment the aim is for the Commission's proposals to be announced by mid-2023. Yeah, and you know, at Reed Smith we did make our own submissions to the consultation, so I think we are all eagerly waiting to see what the outcome of that will be. And, and speaking of that, perhaps this is again a good good point to move and start talking about confidentiality. So one of the first substantive topics under the consultation. And I know that that was one of the topics that generated a fair bit of debate internally at Reed Smith when we were uh, preparing our response to the consultation. Yes. So, uh, so confidentiality is, is often a key attraction for those choosing arbitration over court litigation. Uh, which doesn't afford the same privacy to parties when they're in dispute. The Act currently doesn't contain an express duty of confidentiality, but instead the principle of confidentiality in English-seated arbitration is rooted in case law. So the the obligation to ensure proceedings are confidential in nature in terms of uh, the existence of the dispute, the consequent proceedings, documents produced during the course of those proceedings and any award that's rendered as a result, that can all be found in, in a combination of express agreement between the parties, adoption of institutional rules uh, that impose confidentiality all through implied contract terms. Yes, and uh, you know, so, so we're looking at a complex set of different sources in this area. And I think that is probably why many um, have suggested that a clear, self-contained, express duty of confidentiality set out in VAC would really help to clarify this area and make it easier for the arbitration users to understand where and how confidentiality obligations arise. Yes, and I can kind of, can kind of understand why it would be felt useful to have it expressly stated. And it was certainly, you know, part of our own internal discussions around the matter of confidentiality was very hotly debated. And we weren't ultimately able to kind of definitively reach 
one view or another in terms of supporting the proposed change by the Commission or, or not. Um, and instead, we, we shared with the Commission in our submission the, the two opposing schools of thought on the topic, hoping that perhaps when they see the, the varying views, we, you know, where and why we weren't able to reach a conclusion, and perhaps those, those sort of competing views we grappled with might assist the Commission to reach its own conclusion, along with all the other feedback it's got from, from various different um, stakeholders. And, and as we've already touched upon, you know, a purpose of the Act was to restate the law of arbitration and pull everything together in one place and make it easily accessible to users. And in the leading case of Emmett v Wilson and Partners, Lord Justice Collins had described the fundamental characteristics of privacy and confidentiality in an agreement to arbitrate under English law as being a rule of substantive law masquerading as an implied term. So if the purpose of the Act is for it to be a single source, then there's no good reason for it to continue with the masquerade. And, you know, sort of simply put, the precise ambit of confidentiality might be left to the courts um, in terms of the basic obligation of confidentiality to be stated in the Act, but still subject to, to contrary agreement with exceptions sort of clearly stated. So, for example, where interests of justice require or by you know, there's a, a, a legal duty requirement um, or perhaps in order to protect or pursue a legal right in relation to, to legal proceedings before a court or, or other competent authority. And that would continue the trend seen in arbitration generally towards sort of greater transparency and those, you know, the, the, the colleagues of ours within Reed Smith who supported the, the express provisions for confidentiality also noted that, you know, you have to kind of remember that, you know, inclusion within the Act would, would, uh, would make confidentiality more obvious to foreign users of English arbitration as opposed to it being kind of sort of tucked away in case law somewhere. Other Reed Smith practitioners have also experienced matters uh, where confidentiality has been a real difficulty in circumstances where awards and information have been disclosed between arbitrations in an ad hoc manner. So tribunals in related cases are taking varying approaches, which is quite unsatisfactory state of the law uh, to be in this area. Um, and it kind of just compounds the difficulties and gives rise to ultimately more cost being incurred by the parties for the, the issue to be unravelled and resolved. Yeah, I mean... Certainly very good points, all of them. That, that said, there's also good arguments for avoiding uh, codification of this, uh, of this area. But perhaps the, the first and uh, the more obvious is that we need to ask, is codification really necessary? Is it needed? And um, As you discussed at the beginning when we took this topic, there's already multiple sources of confidentiality obligations that may apply. And between them, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of uh, arbitrations will already be uh, subject to a duty of confidentiality. So do we need to go further and actually establish an overarching rule uh, that says all the um, arbitrations are subject to confidentiality? And, and the reverse side of that argument is that perhaps for those limited instances where either arbitrations as a whole or certain elements of arbitrations may not, be subject to confidentiality, perhaps they shouldn't be. Um, again, the Commission was quite concerned when making its recommendations in this area that coming up with a one-size-fits-all uh, approach to confidentiality such as would be needed if we're trying to codify barrier would be very difficult because of the different nature of various 
um, types of arbitration and various possible issues that may arise within uh, those arbitrations. At the moment, uh, that is catered for through various exceptions that are developed organically through the case law by the courts. And that's obviously a, a, a flexible approach that allows issues to be considered on a case-by-case -case basis uh, and for the rules to be applied on that case-by-case -case basis. Uh, that will become far more difficult if we're trying to frame the confidentiality principles within a very rigid framework of a uh, legislation of, of, of an act. Coming up with all the possible applicable exceptions and caveats to the overarching duty of confidentiality will be difficult. And obviously, should new problems arise, it will be also difficult for those to be dealt with flexibly. And that is fundamentally why, in its own recommendations, the Commission concluded that the English court should continue to develop the, the principles of confidentiality, should continue developing this area of law rather than it being codified within the Act. Again, that, that will be interesting to see what the Commission says after stage two. Yes, well, there's certainly a persuasive argument for both sides. Yeah, that, that definitely. And again, we've debated this a fair bit internally, and I think everyone will be eager to see what the Commission says once it's considered not only the input from us, but from all the, from all the stakeholders who responded to the consultation. Well, we hope that this has been a useful introduction to the Law Commission consultation, to the importance of the Arbitration Act, and it provided you with some um, insight into the types of issues and topics that are currently being considered as part of the consultation, as well as giving you a bit of footfall for on the confidentiality. Yes, and of course, please do join the team again next time around when we'll delve into some of the issues around the role of the arbitrator. But until then, goodbye and thanks for joining us today. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.